family. How are you? Uh, so one quick little thing before we get rolling. Um, our, our little Miss Riley, or, it's not like she's five, um, so was helping us lead worship. Um, this is her last Sunday. She's going to college. And I'm mad about it. I hate college. <laughs> um, so if you see her out in the lobby, make sure you hug her. Thank her for her investment in our worship. Like we get to experience the heart of God because she leads worship. So um, we need to make sure we celebrate her on her way out. She is off to Grand Canyon, which is taking some of our best worship leaders. I hate that place. (laughs) My, My daughter's telling me she's going there after next year, so I'm hating it even more. All right. New Year. New series, new beginnings. Um, The series we're talking about right now over the next few weeks is called Return. And my heart is that as we um, start thinking about in the new year, orienting our life around things that matter, we want to be better at whatever. You have your New Year's goals, resolutions, I don't care how you call it. Um, It's all going away. I think, was it February 14th is a national resolution breaking day? Like that's how long typically it goes. So you guys know the next six weeks at the gym is going to not be great. Um, it's going to be packed. And then starting at the end of February, it'll go back to normal. Um, so uh, as we're thinking about that, I want to make sure that we're doing, considering things that matter. And, and that as a church, that we're pulling ourselves back to these things that actually matter. And so uh, what we're going to do is, uh, over the next two weeks, we're going to do two weeks on generosity, then we're going to do three weeks on prayer, and then three weeks on worship. And so this, my hope is that we return to things that matter. Um, and so uh, these are three really key pieces to our Christian life. And, and um, this whole idea of generosity, I, I, I never know exactly how uh, aggressive to be with it. Um, because I work at a church, and I don't know if you knew that, and I um, thought I would let you into my life a little bit. Um, turns out I work at a church. <laughs> and the thing about working at a church is it's really easy for me to say you should be generous to the church. Why? Because people are like, well, of course you would say that. It's like a husband telling his wife she should be a better wife. He gets the benefit of saying that, right? So I always want to clear this up before we get started. Let's pretend for a minute that every single one of us individually is a billionaire, okay? Let's pretend that. And n- none of you have ever given a dime to the church. And, and because of the ridiculously anointed, powerful words of the preacher, uh, you become convicted that it's time to start tithing. And so everyone in the room today starts tithing. All of us billionaires start tithing. And all this money comes into the church, right? Let's say that that happens. Guess what happens to my salary? Nothing. 
And I say that because I want you to understand that when I ask you to give, I don't receive any benefit from that. When, when, when you're generous, you receive the benefit of that. And that's the part that we have to land on. And so uh, the, the more that I study on this topic, and for years I think as a younger pastor, I didn't even want to talk about it at all. And, and then um, I wanted to talk about it but be really surfacy about it. The more, I, the more I press into it, the more that I'm like, gosh, this is just so core to who we are as followers of Jesus. We've got to talk about it. But we're not doing it in four weeks. We're only going to do it in two weeks, which means we're going to shorten the time. But it's kind of like wrestling practice. We're going to do it short but intense. We can do it long and drip it out, or we can just do it short and intense. So I want to do short and intense. So um, here's, here's what I want to make clear is I'm, I'm going to come after you a little bit today. Not because I'm mad. I'm not. I'm not mad. But because I want to make sure that you get access to everything that God has to bless you with. And generosity is the doorway for that. So um, we're going to tie into First uh, Timothy chapter 6. And I want to be clear about First Timothy. The Timothy letters are a little bit different than uh, normal uh, epistles that Paul writes. When he writes a letter... He writes it to a church or a group of people kind of about here's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And there's a lot of that in the Timothys, but that's not the kind of the guts of the letter. The guts of this letter is Paul takes his disciple, his protege, Timothy, and puts him in the role of pastor and then says, Timothy, this is how you're supposed to pastor people. When you run a church, this is how you're supposed to act. And that's actually really important for me because as we frame this conversation, Paul says some really strong things to Timothy that I want, we all need to hear. And um, I'm just going to prepare you in advance. Uh, unlike every other week that I preach, we've got a ton of Bible to get through today. So um, we're going we're gonna to jump in and, and tackle this. You guys ready to go to work? Okay, here we go. Second half of chapter, or of, uh, verse two of chapter six. Teach and urge these things. These are interesting words, teach and urge. The word urge, one, one translation has it insist. One translation has it demand. One translation has it command. That's a, those are weird words. We should probably take a look at those and understand what we're talking about here. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So anybody that's about to disagree with what Paul's writing here is conceited and doesn't understand anything. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I don't know how people get away with the prosperity gospel. Godliness is not a means to gain. That's not what it is. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we have, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. 
But for those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation. By the way, this does not say that being rich is evil. What it says is those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation. If you're going to desire to be wealthy, you're going to be tempted by some things that people who don't desire to be wealthy aren't tempted by. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Money's not evil. Loving money is evil. Because you can't love money and God. You can't love both of them. you got to choose one. One becomes the object of my affection. And it will almost always be one or the other. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Like, consider your life. It's kind of what Paul's saying here. There's a lot of people who've chased money and they wind up having this miserable existence and they can't figure out why. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, you're like, phew, he's not talking to me. Yes, he is. And I don't got to go through the world statistics, but yes, he is. Yes, he is talking to you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. And we've talked about this word before, but the word haughty essentially means this. There's something in in your life and my life that I'm going to leverage to make myself feel like I'm more than you. That's what being haughty means. Someplace, somewhere in my life, I feel like I'm better than you. Charged people, don't do that. Don't try to do that. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here's what he's saying. He doesn't say give away all their money. What he says is don't put your hope in the money that you've got. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I want to talk about this idea of generosity. So what's happening is Paul says to Timothy through the Holy Spirit, he says, I want you to teach these things and urge or insist demand, command that they do that. Now, I want to understand these two words because I think it helps us shape um, 
what we understand this passage to mean. Um, so teach is the Greek word didasko. Let me hear you say didasko. King Jimmy translates this, uh, teach 93 times and taught four times. So it's a pretty straightforward word. It means there's someone relaying information and then there's someone sitting in the position of student that's receiving that information. So it's just really, that, that word's really simple to understand. But urge is a little more complicated. The word urge is the Greek word parakaleo. Let me hear you say parakaleo. Yeah. You guys are going to be scholars. Parakaleo is an interesting word in the New Testament because Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Same root. Which, go okay, so, so then what I'm supposed to do is to step in and whatever the Holy Spirit does for me in the role that Holy Spirit works in my life, I'm supposed to be able to transfer that in how I treat other people. Um, and, and so the word is made up of two words, para, which means alongside, think parallel, right? Alongside, and the word kaleo, which means to call. So the word literally means to call alongside, which clears everything up, right? What does that mean? What does that even, what even is that? Here's what it means, and this is what Holy Spirit does for you and me, and it's what you and I are supposed to do for one another, that when we see God doing something in your life, so I'm taught a command of God, command the, the rich in this present world to be generous. The parakaleo means that I walk alongside you and refuse to allow you to settle for anything less. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, and that's what you and I are supposed to do for each other. So here's the deal. When the Bible says that those of us that are rich in this present world, us, all of us in this room included, me included, we have to, number one, know that that's a command of God, and number two, refuse to allow one another to settle for less than that. And that really is important because if we're going to say I'm generous, like for most of us, if I say, are you generous? Most of us will go, I mean, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, sure, sure, I'm generous. I mean, if someone came up and asked me for help and I had the resources, you know, I'd probably help them. I'm generous. That's not Generosity. Here's the thing that I want to be clear about when we start talking about what is generosity. The Bible gets to define the term. The Bible gets to define for you and me what generosity is and what it isn't. I don't then get to go and say, well, I'm going to negotiate the meaning of generosity so that I can make a loophole so that I don't actually have to do what the Bible says. I don't get to do that. And for me, as the lead pastor, Holy Spirit through Paul to Timothy to me says, I have to insist on this. I have to insist on this. And then refuse to allow you to settle for less. Because I'm mad at you? No, I'm not mad at you. I love you guys. We're doing great. But because I want you to access the blessings that God has for you. And generosity is the doorway. But generosity the way God defines it. 
So we're going to look at a couple of principles this week, and then we're going to look at a couple of principles next week that govern a biblical definition of generosity. Okay, These are principles that the Bible teaches about what generosity is and what it isn't. Okay, The first principle, principle number one, is the principle of first fruits. Here's what this means. Generosity gives before it takes. Generosity gives before it takes. And if you're like, well, I give my taxes to the government before I take anything, that doesn't count. <laughs> generosity, the principle of first fruits says that generosity gives first. And this principle is laced throughout the Bible. Okay? I want to begin in Genesis chapter 4 with this. It, you guys know the story, but I want to look at a couple of details that are actually really, really significant. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, which is a terrible translation of that passage. Terrible. Another sermon for another day, but ooh, so good. Um, nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's really good. Uh, and again, she bore his brother Abel, not nearly as dramatic. Uh, now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and in his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. It fell right off his skull. It was terrible. Bloop. Now I'm really mad at you, God, but you can't see. I have no face. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? <laughs> Pick it up. Get the dirt off of it. Put it back. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin's crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, here's a question. So Cain and Abel both bring an offering. Why does God accept Abel's and not Cain's? And I've had a lot of people like, it's the blood. It's always been about the blood. No, it isn't. There's all kinds of sacrifices that the Jewish people gave that had nothing to do with blood. There was grain offerings and wine offerings and wave offerings. <laughs> Hi, God. There's that. It's not, it's not the offering itself that's the problem. It's the heart with which I give it. And the issue here is, what it says very clearly is, in the course of time, Cain brought some stuff. But Abel brought of his firstborn and the fat portions. So he took the firstborn, not knowing whether or not he was going to have any more born, and of those, he chose the best. And that's what he brought to God. And God was like, yep, I like that. Cain just brought some stuff. Here, fine. Taking food right out of my mouth, God. Can't believe you're doing that. I, I had so many people say to me, do you really expect that in my financial position, God would expect me to be generous? Yes, 
Yes, I do, and you know why? Because the Bible says it. You go, well, that's old covenant. That's old covenant. This is before the covenant. This isn't old covenant. This is pre that covenant. That's this is that's law. No, it isn't. This the law doesn't exist yet. There is no law yet. This is just the nature of how God interacts with man and how man is supposed to interact with God. And the great thing about it was God didn't beat Cain up over it. Cain was like, his face fell off. And God's like, why, why are you mad? Just, just give the right way and we're good. But if you don't give the right way, then what happens is the posture of your heart becomes a problem. That's the issue. Then sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. You have to rule over it. But the, the reason why there's a temptation is because I'm not willing to just give the way that the Lord wants me to give to him. Like, and man, we fight it. Ooh, we fight it all the time. We have so, so many, that there are, but there are so many places to put my tithe. I like to take my tithe and put a little bit over here and a little bit over here and a little bit over here. Deuteronomy 26, keep going. Verses two to 10, here's what it says. You shall take some of the first of all, of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. So here's the thing about first fruits. I came here from a place that was a, a big agricultural area, a lot of dry land farming. And it was always fun to watch uh, the wheat as it started to ripen, the fields would start to change slowly. Uh, that doesn't all ripen at the same time. It doesn't all ripen at the same time. It's the way agriculture works. And so as you have these first fruits, these first grains that are ripening, what they do is harvest that, and then they take all of that and take it to the Lord without knowing what the rest is going to be. They do that without, like, so we could take a first fruits and then locusts could hit and it's gone. And I have nothing because I gave all the first fruits. That doesn't seem very wise. Yes, it does. Why? Because God said to do it that way. That's the wisest way to live. Because then we're putting ourselves in a position when if there is a gap, God can close it. If we're not going to live consistent with God's commands, then we can't be angry when we don't receive God's blessing. That's just the way it works. And you shall go to the priest who was in the office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid us on laid on us hard labor and then we cried to the Lord and God of our fathers and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction our toil and our oppression and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm 
with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us in the place where he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So when, first of all, when we go to the, to the at that time, the tabernacle, ultimately that was gonna be built, they, um, they would take it and they would lay it their, their first fruits offering at the tabernacle. And they would make this statement. My father was a wandering, Papa was a rolling stone. Why do we say that? Here's why. Because it's really important for them to remember that the reason why we do this for God is because he was powerful in us to, to deliver us from slavery. The reason why we're generous is because God is so generous to us. That's why we're generous, because in being generous, we show the world what God's like. By the way, you have your own Egypt. You have your own bondage that the Lord's brought you from. The meaningless, purposeless existence. And I think for a lot of us, somehow we start to act as if we deserved for God to save us. That's entitlement. You want to know how anyone can tell how we feel about the Lord and what it took for him to save us? You know how we want to know? Generosity. So if we choose not to be generous, not just choose not to be generous, but choose not to be generous the way the Bible teaches us to be generous. When we choose not to do that, what you're saying is, God, your sacrifice doesn't mean as much to me as it should. Period. Like, that's really harsh, Aaron. Yep. This practice translates into a really important season in the life of Israel in the Bible. Remember, they get hauled off to Babylon in slavery. And um, they believe, they reasoned while they're in Babylon, that the reason that they got sent to Babylon and made slaves is because they sinned. So when they come back from Babylon, they come back determined to live righteously. And so they commit to some things. They commit as a community and before the Lord, they commit to some things, some kind of core foundational things that they commit to. In Nehemiah chapter 10, here's what it says. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands of the law of, to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. Okay, so you're like, they, they walked into a curse? They, yep, because every oath has a curse. Because there's got to be a price for not, for not owning it. And to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God, his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters or their, or for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or on any holy day. 
So they're like, we're going to honor the Sabbath. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So that's the year of Jubilee and the, seven, the year of Sabbath year, when they are not going to raise crops in the land every seven years. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, burnt offerings, Sabbaths, and new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement to, for Israel and, and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. Why am I not? There we go. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. So one of their foundational like, hey, this is what it's going to look like for us to, to live righteously is that they reclaim this principle of first fruits. The generosity gives first before it takes also to bring to the house of God, to the priest who, who minister in the house of, of our God, to the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law that the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. Who collects the tithe? Who are the Levites? The people who work at the tabernacle at this time. Ultimately the temple. So where do I bring my tithe? But I want to spread my tithe around. I like helping a lot of different people. Listen, there were people who had extra needs in their time too, and they were helping them. They were generous to one another, but that had nothing to do with their tithe. The tithe belongs to the Lord, and it's given through where they worship. Period. But I want to give it. I don't care. It's what the Bible says. It's not that I don't care about you. It's that you're wrong. <laughs> and I have to insist on this. Because that's what Holy Spirit through Paul, through Timothy to me said to do. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the, the Levites shall bring to up the tithe of the tithes to the house of God, to the chamber of the storehouse. I'm going to skip the rest of that. There's a lot more there. Principle of first fruits. Generosity gives first. Principle number two is the storehouse. We are generous to others through the church first. First, not only, but first, we're generous to the church. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like a tithe. Why do we know that? Because that's the rules. Malachi chapter three, which if you've been hanging around in the church for a while, you've heard this passage before not just our church, but the church. Um, here's what it says, Friend, I, the Lord, do not change. How much does God change? He doesn't. Zero percent change. But that's old covenant. No, it's pre-old covenant. And during the covenant and post-covenant. Why? Because God doesn't change. God doesn't change. 
Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Point blank, if you're trying to be generous any other way than what God asks you to, you're turning aside from the statutes of God. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? We didn't even know we'd left. Oh, here's how. Will, you, will a man rob God? Yet you say, how are we robbing you? Here's how. You're not tithing correctly. Oh, and on top of that, the contributions that you make over and above that, you're not doing that right either. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And I just wonder if part of the condition of, the, of America right now is that we're not being generous the way God asked us to. And the blessings of, this, of the few can secure the blessing for the many, but we won't do our part. I don't want to be generous. Hey, here's where I'm at with, with this whole thing at this point in my ministry. I, I believe in this strongly enough to say, if you're not tithing to your local church where you go to church, you're in sin. And I believe it that strongly because that's what the Bible says. And, and here's the thing. I don't look at the tithe records. Like, I don't know who is and who isn't. I'm not pointing at anybody specifically. I don't know. But what I can tell you is, you need to know that if you're not tithing to your local church of the first fruits, you're robbing yourself of the goodness of God in your life. Like, why would you do that? And I have to insist on it. You're, you're made for more. You're made for more. But it's going to take faith to get you there. And it's not going to be a, in the course of time I brought some things. It's going to be the firstborn of the fat portions. God, I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for what you would do that you would save me at all. That you would notice me at all. That you would bring me out of my slavery and into freedom at all. I'm so thankful. How can I do anything else but be generous? How can, I, how can I do anything else? None of it's mine anyway. It's all his. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. This is how we lift the curse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Whoops, we went too many. And thereby put me to, re to the test. By the way, did you know this is the only place in Scripture that God says to put me to the test? Put him to the test. There's a lot of places where he says, don't test me, I'm the Lord. Like, which is a really strong statement. Like, that's a really strong. This is the only place where he says, test me. Come on. I double dog dare you. 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, this is the blessing of God. It's not, God, I give you 1,000, you give me back 5,000. That's not, that's, God is not a retirement plan. That's not how that works. But what it is, is you give, you're faithful to steward God's resources God's way. And then God blesses your life with things like this. Let me tell you a story. This is a real story that actually happened to me and doesn't make me look very good. Probably 10 years ago, my wife and I more than tithe to the church. We, we always have um, because we, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Right? Um, and so one year in particular, uh, we'd been particularly generous. And so by the end of November, we had tithed what would be a full year's tithe. And so I decided that I wasn't going to give anything in December. I'm going to use that money for Christmas, whatever. We'll pad our savings a little bit. And then my truck broke down. This is not, this is a true story. To the penny, it was what I should have given to the church. True story. To the penny. Can you believe that? The store, the moral of that story isn't see how you didn't give and the Lord provided for you to have the need because you knew your truck was going to break down. No. The moral of the story is I didn't give and God took it anyway. That's the moral, and hear me on this, it'll happen to you too. God's going to get it no matter how he gets it. You might as well be generous with it so that you can receive the blessing of that. I, I have so much more I want to say, we're out of time. I'm not going to read Numbers 18, but what I want to give you is the gist of why that passage is in the notes and, and Numbers 18, 8 through 19. I encourage you to go read it. Here's, here's what it says, essentially. That the purpose of bringing all of that stuff to the tabernacle is to help the tabernacle steward its resources. Number one, it functions in, in the keeping of the operations going. Number two, it, it functions as a way to pay the priests for doing the work that they're doing. So when people have a problem with um, priests making a living, at, at being a pastor, people, the people that are on staff at a church, I, like I have a really bad, I have a problem with that. Because what they also want is really good content in their sermons and it's impossible to take the time to do that when you're bivocational. Like that's really hard. And I watch guys struggle with that because people are like, well, you haven't moved me to give. That's not my job. It's not my job to move you to give. Holy Spirit has already said you got to do it. Now, either you obey that or you're in sin. Period. The command's already been made. I don't have to move you. You haven't persuaded me to change my mind. Well, we, we, try to do it, we try to negotiate all the time with what the Bible says. And after all the mental gymnastics that we try to pull off, the Bible still says what it says. 
It still says what it says. I don't get to change it because I don't like it. I don't want to be generous. Oh, well then go ahead and read the Bible and be generous. Or don't call yourself a Christian. Because at least in that part of your life, you have to admit that in that space, you're not being a disciple of Jesus. You're not. I have some implications for us this morning. Implication number one, generosity is a mindset. It's not an action. And it doesn't have an off switch. The space where we live a generous life doesn't have an off switch. Doesn't have, we, it's a reflection of God's work in my life. It doesn't have a, I'm generous here, but I'm stingy here. That's not how it works. So if, if you find yourself in that dichotomy, you may want to examine, like, am I actually being generous or am I trying to not get spanked by God? Implication number two. Generosity gives before it takes. This is the principle of first fruits. Do we honor God first or self first? It's a black and white reality. You know, I don't know where you're at. You do know where you're at. I know where I'm at. You know, do you honor God first or do you honor self first? Implication number three generosity is commanded by God, not suggested. It's not like, a, well, that's for the super spiritual. No, it's for anybody who says, I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because if he's Lord, he's boss. And if he's boss, then he sets the rules, and these are his rules. We love Jesus as our Savior. We hate him as our Lord. And I'll just be straight up with you. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. Implication number four. Generosity begins, doesn't end. This isn't the goal begins with the tithe given through the local church. That's where it starts. Doesn't end there, begins there. And, and here's the thing. This is so foundational to the access of God's work in our life. People are like, no, that's for the super spiritual. No, this is entry-level Christianity. This is entry-level Christianity. This is toddler Christianity stuff, not adult Christianity stuff. And the reason why that matters so much is because the church in America is spiritually anemic. And part of the reason is we're, this, we're the richest and stingiest country in the world. You're like, but we give, but we give, but we give. Yeah, we do all those things. And we're sitting here not being faithful with our resources. Me as a human, as an individual, I can't just attach myself to an organization that's a winner because they're doing great things and then say I've done my part. We each individually have a responsibility to be a part of what God's called us to and foundationally generosity is, as the Bible defines it, generosity is the doorway. This is entry-level Christianity. We're starting into this season of prayer and seeking the Lord's face and, and really calling out for more of his presence. Listen, if you can't get this entry-level stuff right, you are not ready for what God wants to do in the next year. 
I, I know that's heavy. I know that. It's just true. And this is one of those spaces where I, I, I watch people and I watch people give up. It's like, it's like Jacob and Esau. Esau trades his birthright for a bowl of food. He comes in from hunting and he's hungry. And he says, Jacob's making some stew. And he says, Jacob, give me some stew. And Jacob says, give me your birthright. What good's my birthright dead? Take it for a bowl of food. And I'd rather starve than lose my destiny. How about you? Would you rather starve than lose your destiny? Maybe you're going to feel like you're putting yourself in that position to be generous the way God asked you to. Maybe that's true. Maybe. But here's what the Psalms say. Never seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen it. When are we going to have faith? When are we going to let God be who God is? When are we going to take him at his word? Communion, which we take together every week as a church, communion is this crazy, like, picture of incredible generosity that Jesus lays his life down to take your place and my place so that we can have access to God the Father just because he loves us. Not, he didn't gain anything from it. God isn't less God if we're not around. He just loves us that much. And communion is this space where we're reminded of God's generosity to us. And so I'm gonna give you a minute to just wrestle with the Lord. Like, Lord, where do you want me to be more generous? Where do you want me to be more generous? Let's take a minute and talk with the Lord as we prepare our hearts for communion. the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, this is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your patience while we're in our journey. Thank you for these strong calls to obedience because we know that in our obedience, you work and you move in our life in fresh and powerful ways. God, thank you for um, your grace as we wrestle through the implications of it. In Jesus' name, amen.